Well, last week we looked at um, Luke chapter 5, a story about Jesus um, teaching and, and, and in a house. And these four guys with a paraplegic friend, um, they, they brought him to see Jesus and they couldn't get in, so they went up on the roof and they lowered him down. And, and uh, you know, we've been looking at Scripture with just a little bit different lens on than, than normal. At least for me, it's less than normal, okay? And the idea of that, that uh, the words of Paul... In Galatians chapter 4, he, he says, I, I'm in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. That, that statement has continued to kind of work on me and work in me. And I love that idea that, that Christ is being formed in me. And, and for me, that's that way of saying what, what I believe that God wants to do in our lives is where we die to ourselves and he comes to life in us, where, where in John the Baptist's words that, that we become less and he becomes greater, um, that idea that we are no longer the ruling power in our lives, but he is. He is our king, and we are his servant. And so as he, as he is formed in me, as, I look at, as we look at the story of Jesus, kind of what we're doing is we're saying, look at the way what Jesus went through in his life, and look at his formation. Look at the, how things went in his life, and, and, and recognize that, that, you know what, when Jesus was born, he didn't just have it all right at one time. Luke 2.52 says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So we recognize that, that even through his ministry, Jesus was developing. And so that's kind of what we've been looking at. So, so once again, we come back to our, um, to our story here. And, and last week, we looked at the, the, the paraplegic. And uh, the thing that I, I, that's kind of been kind of working on me this week is, is that pick up your mat and walk. Don't leave your mat there. And the, the idea as I wrestled with it, I told you last week, was is, is that mat is like the consequences of, of our sin that it would be awesome for us to just say, Lord, forgive us, and all of a sudden, all of the consequences are gone, right? Mike, as you shared, wouldn't it have been great to, we, when you got on your knees and prayed that you didn't have to face the court after that, right? Wouldn't it have been nice? Would have been, would have been nice, yeah, right? But, uh, but Jesus says, pick up your mat and go. And, and in, in my life, there are so many things that I would like to just kind of, you know, not have to face anymore. And... I know in, our, in, in my life and in some of yours is that sometimes that having to face the consequences to our sin causes us to fall back into sin. And so the challenge was is that um, I asked the question, where are you paralyzed? Because that's what God wants to heal. Um, so what consequences are, are you wanting to avoid? And the last one was is who should you forgive? Because as Christ is formed in you, you're going to be more like Christ. Then we know we see what Jesus was like in that story of forgiving that, that paralyzed man. That is a picture of us, of, of what we, is being created or formed in us. So the question needs to come is, is, who should you forgive? Is there somebody in your life that you need to forgive? And so today we, we're going to read on to our, the next story in Luke, but today we're not going to read the story in Luke. We're going to read the story in Matthew. It's the same story, okay? Luke is chapter 5, but in Matthew, Matthew tells it to us in chapter 9, okay? I'll show you why I picked Matthew's version in just a moment. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 says this, as Jesus went from there, from the little house where he healed that guy, the, the paralyzed man, okay, after that, 
went from there. He saw a man named Matthew. Oh, there it is. This is Matthew's story of himself. Seemed appropriate for us to get Matthew's version. All right? There's a man sitting there named Matthew, the tax collector, at the tax collector's booth. Sorry. Follow me, he told Matthew. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, the story actually continues a little bit more, but we're going to stop right there, okay? Next week, we may get to move on. I don't know yet. There's still a part of that that we didn't have, I didn't have time to, to really go into, a part of this story that we didn't have time to go into, so we'll just see where the Lord leads this next week. Um, but as we look at this little piece of the story, the thing that catches my attention is this. I, I wonder why this is part of the story that's included. What is, about, what is it about this part of the story that all three authors, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all felt like this needs to be included? Why do we have this? Why was it given? And so as we read the story, there's a few things that we're going to do. Is we're going we're gonna to just take things to take note of, all right? So I really think it's important for us. I believe it's important for us to, to stop and, and recognize some of the things that maybe we, that we just read over and ignore. That, that maybe that we just have, have skipped because we just fill in the blanks. You know, for some of us who have been in church a lot, sometimes it's, oh yeah, I remember a sermon on that. Oh yeah, I heard a sermon on that one. And so as, as we read scripture, it's really easy for us to go, oh yeah, I, I, I know that story. And so I want us to pause and I want us to just th- look at some things that, that are good to take note of, okay? So we're going to do that. And then after that, we're going to move on to the Okay, let's put the lens of, of Christ being formed in me. So let's just, we're just kind of kind of survey the story for a moment, all right? So here's the first thing that I noticed that I think it would be good for us to just acknowledge or recognize. That we have a story of Peter, James, John, and Andrew, okay? So Peter and Andrew, they're brothers. James and John are brothers. So we have a story of them being called, all right? We have a story of Philip and Nathaniel being called in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 50. If you're doing the math, that's six, okay? I just had seven up. I had, that's six. Now we have a story of Matthew. That's seven, and that's it. Has anyone ever noticed that? We have a story of seven disciples being called. We don't have a story of all of them being called. We're missing five. Part of me, as I acknowledge that, I go, <clears throat> I kind of feel sorry for those other five. We don't know what got, what, how, how they got into, that, into the crowd. We don't know how they got to be part of Jesus' kind of entourage. So it's, as we look at that, it's just an interesting thing to take note of that would be really for, easy for us to just kind of read right over, okay? The next thing that I noticed is, I thought was interesting, is, is the placement of the story. Okay, so John tells us about Peter and Andrew and James and John and Nathaniel and Philip, like within the first chapter. 
really early on are we told about their calling. Matthew tells about Peter, James, John, and Andrew about their calling earlier as well. Luke as well, earlier. Mark also a little bit earlier. But Matthew tells it in chapter 9. It's quite a bit later. But even if, even if you just look at the other versions, what you find is there's this separation between that first group of people that Jesus called and Matthew. Matthew's just kind of out there all by himself in the story of the disciples being called. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but as I read that, I thought, hmm, I wonder if the, where this fits in the story of Jesus. Remember the lens that we talk about, right? As Jesus is being formed, look at this. This is a little bit later in the formation of Jesus that this happens. I wonder if, I wonder if some of it has to do with um, the type of career Matthew had. I mean, why did Jesus call Matthew later? You probably, I don't know, it'd be great if you thought something like that, but we'll come back to it, okay? The next thing I think we should note is, is that I mentioned it is Matthew was a tax collector. Now, my Wednesday night group doesn't want me to share my jokes about the IRS. <sighs> Might be too distracting, Right? Oh, go ahead. That's what the first service said the same thing to me. It's like you're, you're encouraging me to tell these jokes. What's the difference between death and taxes? Well, Congress doesn't meet every year to make death worse. So, all right? If I, had, if I had a dollar for every time that I heard of the IRS, I'd have like 60 cents every time I heard of the IRS. The IRS put out a new tax form this year. It's good news. It's really, really easy. They've simplified it. They made it so easy, there's two lines. The first line is, how much did you make? Second line is, send it in. Okay? (laughs) Now, don't be distracted. Here's the deal. Even the best of us probably have this little bit of a struggle with taxes, right? It's not fun. It's painful, especially if you just stop and think about how much you brought in and how much you paid out to them. It's to us, quite honestly, right? But that feeling of, think about this. Our taxes, some would argue, go to good causes. I shouldn't have added this. Some would argue that, but okay. Our taxes do, right? I mean, I feel like my, my Social Security is really going to pay my parents' Social Security right now, so it's really my way of giving to my parents. But um, there's a connection there, right? Matthew, that is not what Matthew was doing. I mean, if, if we have this a little bit of a uh, about the IRS, amplify that by, I don't know, a lot. Think about this. This is the way a tax collector worked in those days. So a tax collector in those days was kind of like a contractor. And they contracted with Rome to collect taxes on their people. So a Jewish person collecting Roman taxes on other Jewish people. Think through this for a moment. These are the God's chosen people. 
they have a sense that they are the ones that God loves and pretty much the only ones that God loves. That's their mindset. They are in a, in a land that God promised to them, and yet Rome is occupying it. Do you, do you see when, when they paid taxes, it wasn't even to their own country. It wasn't even to their own people. It was to Caesar, who claimed to be a god. You understand the, the amount of anger and frustration and bitterness that would have, would have come from this? I don't even know that we can even get to the, even a, a, a small piece of that frustration. I can't help but think, what do the other disciples think, right? Some would say that, that possibly Matthew was at the docks collecting taxes as the fishermen brought their fish in from their catch. It's possible maybe Matthew and Peter, James, John, and Andrew were familiar with Matthew. I wonder what they thought. I can't help but ask myself, how does a guy do that job and still face his family? How does he, how does he face his friends? I mean, you know, as you grow up, you've got these childhood friends, and then you become a tax collector, and you try to collect taxes for Rome from them. Matthew Matthew, I, I, I believe, had to, from my perspective, had to say somewhere along the lines a way that he could reason it through. That he could say, well, this is why it's okay. He's justified his behavior. Most would have seen him as a traitor, as the enemy. Either Matthew had such a love for money that it didn't affect him, I would say kind of like a seared conscience, or he had somehow justified it in his head that it was all right. Now the next piece of the story that we want us to look at is this, is I want us to notice that um, what happened when Jesus said, come follow me. Now Matthew says he got up and followed him. Luke tells us that he left everything. What, is, what do you think that means? What do you think that means that he left everything? I mean, how does a guy leave that station? Because the way we're told of the story, all three authors, Matthew got up and followed it doesn't say Matthew got up and he, and he handed off all of his paperwork to the guy next to him. And by the way, Rome was expecting any money that he had collected. He's going to have to answer for that. And yet, we find that Matthew got up and left everything. It's a similar story to when Peter was called to follow. He had that amazing catch, Right? And we're told that Peter left everything. They left the fish behind. What did Matthew leave behind? 
money. Maybe I'm too literal, okay? I just imagine there's like a pile of money on the table and, and Matthew got up and left. It might not have been that way, but it does seem like in my head that that's a pretty big deal. Does everything mean everything? The next step in the story, we find that Matthew throws a party. Now, Matthew plays it down. He says, Jesus was over at Matthew's house eating dinner, right? But do you hear what it says? And there were other tax collectors and sinners there. Uh, Luke tells us that, that Matthew threw a banquet, a big party. He invited people. Now, dining with somebody was, was not like, you know, maybe in our culture, where to sit down with, with somebody, yeah, it's all right, but it isn't. This was reserved for your closest people. Now, if you've ever had dinner at our house, I'm sorry if I just cheapened that experience for you. I didn't mean to. Okay, but, but here is this, you have to understand that it wasn't just this casual thing that Jesus said, oh yeah, sure, I'll have dinner with you. There was, there was a lot that went with that, that you didn't dine with people that you shouldn't dine with. And yet, Jesus does. I see it as Matthew was like, he invited me to follow him. This is fantastic. Let's celebrate. Now, we know that that later he becomes part of the 12 disciples. So when we see the story that Matthew got up and followed him, do we recognize this was a critical point in Matthew's life? A crisis moment, a, a fork in the road where Matthew said, I'm going this way. It wasn't just a, he said, follow me, and they said, hey, let's go eat together, and then I'll go back to the booth. Now listen to Matthew's words as we continue on the story. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So Matthew throws a party. He says, we're going to have a banquet. I've got to invite some people. So who does he invite? His friends. Who are other tax collectors and sinners. Now we'll get to the ta- tax collector thing for, in a moment here, but here's what I want you to recognize is this. That term sinner, <laughs> I don't, does anybody else like, that's a weird way to put it, right? Tax collectors and sinners. So let me help you understand what, really what, this, what, what we're being told here, okay? To oversimplify it just a little, within that culture, there would have been like three classifications of people. Not, not bound by economics, but the three classes of people would be the Pharisees, who were the perfect ones, okay? That's not very nice to say it because that sounds kind of sarcastic, but, but they believed that they were the ones that followed the letter of the law. They followed it to the T. They performed perfectly. Remember the, that guy that came to Jesus and he said, what am I to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the, follow the Ten Commandments. This is Darren's version a little bit, right? And he goes, well, oh, I've done that. 
that would have been a Pharisee's perspective. That's, that's how I live. So in the, th- in the three classifications, you've got the Pharisees who, hey, they've done nothing wrong. And then you've got that middle class group who, they're struggling, okay? Sometimes they do all right, sometimes they, not do all right, they don't do all right. Sacrifice for them is a big deal because they've got to they gotta keep going back and, and be forgiven for that mess. The Pharisees are like, hey, man, I don't know. I didn't do anything wrong, so I'm just going to do the sacrifice to kind of, you know, because it's, it's, I'm following the law. This middle group of people are like, I got to take my sacrifices because I need forgiveness. And then you have this third class. These are the people that have given up. Do you get that? Do you see? The sinners, that, that title was given to the people that said, what's the use? I can't, I, can't, I can't get out of this life. Matthew hung out with these people. Tax collectors who somewhere along the lines have convinced themselves that what they're doing is fine. By the way, do any of us have areas in our life like that? Where we convince ourselves, oh, this isn't a problem. This isn't, I can have this in my life. This is okay. It's not an issue. And we justify our behavior, we justify, we convince ourselves that this is all right. And then we know some people maybe that have gotten to that place of, what's the use? It's just easier to give in. And Jesus called him. This is not a blue-collar worker with an honorable job. This is a crook, a traitor, a guy who was betraying his country. And somehow he convinced himself that it was all right. If we comprehend this, we should, it should make us just a little bit uneasy. Ugh. Now, here's the strange thing as we, as we transition to our next thing. The Pharisees make a showing, right? Now, I need this picture right in my head. Is I, in my head, I've always kind of read it as, oh, the Pharisees are in there eating too, and they're saying, why is Jesus eating with these sinners and tax collectors? Well, if they were going to say that, then they wouldn't be at the banquet either, right? So that means they're not at the banquet. So where are they? Well, they're outside. I mean, they're passing by. Maybe they're spying on Jesus. Whoa, this guy just said, that guy's, guy's sins are forgiven. And, and then he said, get up and walk. And he's walking. Oh, we got to check this guy out a little bit more. Jesus moves on from there, goes to a tax collector's house, and they're like, what is he doing in there? Right? They weren't at the dinner. They were on the outside. And then who do the Pharisees talk to? Did you notice that? They talked to the disciples. So where are the disciples? Probably outside too. Maybe a little uncomfortable with what's going on. That's a bit of a speculation. It's okay if you don't like it. You don't have to take it. Just as I'm picturing this, Pharisees were not inside, and 
The disciples are the ones that are interacting with the Pharisees. There seems to be a point that God's trying to make here. It seems like what we see is Jesus is intentionally reaching out to the scum of the earth. Sorry, that's mean to say, isn't it? But somewhere along the lines, I think maybe we've softened this to to not see the level of what Jesus is doing here. And the best that the Pharisees can do is either Mark or Luke. I'm sorry, I don't have this. The, the, the best the Pharisees can do, according to them, is, and the Pharisees were complaining to the disciples. Darren's version, and the Pharisees were outside whining about what Jesus was doing. Why is he in there with those guys? How can this man be behaving this way is, what, is basically what they're saying. Luke tells us that. They didn't like it, and they didn't want it to continue. But what we see is the the disciples didn't answer. Did you catch that? Jesus steps in. Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the teacher, steps in between the disciples and the Pharisees, and he makes this statement. This is a monumental statement in my opinion. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I hope this is one of those things that we grab a hold of and we carry it with us for our lives. Jesus came not for the righteous, but to call sinners. And and, and Luke adds to repentance. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. How much time have you spent on that statement? Jesus came for the sick. The picture that he gives us is a doctor. Let me pause in there for just a moment because there's something I learned in the last few days is this, that Jesus' statement, when he makes that, it, it, he says uh, what? Uh, but go and learn what this means. One rabbi, two other rabbis. The Pharisees would have said they were connected to the law. They were connected to scriptures. So their scripture was their teaching, but their, their leaders, their, their teachers would have been teaching what scripture said, right? They were having a problem with what the other rabbi, Jesus, was teaching his disciples. And so Jesus steps in between and he says, you go, you go to your teacher and see what it says. Figure out what this means because it's in your teaching." which are Jesus' teachings as well. They just didn't understand it. By the way, that's found in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. It's a good verse to go back to. We don't have a lot of time to... That's one of those, this is one of those pieces that we, we don't have time to look at, but it's a good piece. It can be... It, it has some fruit to spend some time there, okay? 
See, but the, the picture that, well, let's go back to this picture that Jesus gives us is this doctor. I've come to call the sinners, not the righteous. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 that, that all, right? No one is righteous, not one. The Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul, makes the statement, no one is righteous, not one. And yet the Pharisees at this house, as they're looking in, think they stand in that, of that first group who they are the righteous ones. They are sick and they don't even know it. They're sinners and they don't realize it. They've convinced themselves that they're okay. Sounds a little like Matthew. They made sacrifices, and yet they showed no mercy. I I hope that we can see the hope in his statement here. He came to call sinners. I qualify. Do you? Let's come back to that doctor thing. If I let that sink in for a moment, the picture begins to kind of break through. Doctor. Doctors come for the sick, not the healthy. He comes to bring healing. He comes to bring healing, to to reach where nobody else can reach in, to care, to bring compassion, to bring mercy, to bring reassurance. You know, there are some significant parallels between a doctor and, and Messiah and Jesus. Have you ever heard of the Messiah complex? Okay. Doctors struggle with the Messiah complex. Pastors never struggle with this. <clears throat> okay. Messiah complex is this, a, a state of mind in which an individual believes that they are responsible for saving or assisting others. Messiah complex. You know why doctors struggle with that Messiah complex? Because there's a lot of parallels between the Messiah and doctor. Jesus doesn't have a Messiah complex. He is the Messiah. He is our great physician. He can heal us. Do you hear that picture that he gives us? He's come to take your brokenness and heal. Now, in case you've missed it, let me just help you here, okay? We can look at Jesus' life and, like, and go, yeah, look, at he came, he's, he's the great physician because he, he healed that paralyzed man and he, and he helped that, that mute person and he helped that, uh, the blind man and he helped the lady that was bleeding for years and, and he helped the, the, the woman with a fever and the list could go on. Look at, the, you know, he is, it's like he's the great physician. He, he heals the sick. But the sick that we are talking about, the sick that he is talking about, it's not about our physical bodies. It's about our very soul. It's possible that some of us are sick and we don't even know it. 
He has come to take our brokenness and heal. Of course Jesus would call Matthew because he came for the sick, not the healthy. Okay, so now we've kind of surveyed the story, all right? You might have noticed a few other things. If you noticed a few other things and I didn't cover it, that's your challenge to go home and study. You ever wonder, well, how do you, well, I don't even know where to start to study Scripture. Well, when you notice things, that's the place you should stop and go, hey, what, why did I notice that? Pause. Ask questions. So as we put the lenses of Christ being formed in me, Christ being formed in you, as I look at this, now here's what's going to happen is, is what I'm sharing with you is really what, what I feel like he was saying, God was saying to me. My hope is, is that it connects with you as well, okay? And if it doesn't, I'm sorry, listen to him. He's probably got something else he wants to talk to you about, all right? But here's what, I, here's what I'm taking from it. Number one is, is Jesus had established a few things in his ministry before he called Matthew. Okay, placement. Placement was a big deal to me as I looked at this story. That, and as we look at Christ being formed, what we see as, as he is developing, he's growing. As, I know that's a weird thing to picture, right? Jesus growing in his ministry. But he was picking up steam. People were starting to follow him. There were some things that had been established before he calls Matthew. Jesus was being formed. Matthew wasn't called at the same time Peter was. Remember the difference in their careers? I look at that and I think, you know what, there's a reason why he waited here. There's a reason why it didn't happen right at the same time. Is it possible? But Jesus understood. Before Matthew gets called, some of this ministry that, I'm gonna, that I've got planned has to develop. The rapport. You think Peter wanted to be hanging out with Levi or Matthew? Probably not. Pharisees had a problem with, with Jesus eating with sinners. They didn't even know Jesus had invited Matthew to follow him. How would the Pharisees have reacted had, had this happened earlier? See, at this point in the, in the ministry, the Pharisees were like, man, I don't know if this is the Messiah or not. He's not acting like a Messiah should act. But if this happened earlier, they would have been like, no question. There wouldn't have been any question of, of whether or not he was, he was who he says he was. They would have dismissed it immediately. What kind of reputation would Jesus have had had he started out with Matthew. See, he went through Galilee and did ministry. And the crowds kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then Jesus calls Matthew. He had such a following. And all the Pharisees could do, they couldn't dismiss him all they could do is stand outside and complain. So here's what I discover in my own life. 
as I look at this picture of Jesus, as he moves from place to place in Scripture, he calls his disciples, he heals a person, Jesus forgives somebody, Jesus shows mercy, Jesus takes time for somebody. As he, as he is formed in me, I feel, that, I feel like it's that same process where, where Jesus is going to different places in my life, in my heart. And he says, like the doctor, he says, hey, I know you can't fix this yourself. Will you follow me? And then he comes to the next place in my life and he says, will you follow me? At each stop on Jesus' journey, Jesus impacts, Jesus heals, Jesus calls. There are places or things in my life that have a stronger hold on me than others. That means there's going to be times when he goes, we're not getting there just yet. I'm going to call Peter. Eventually, I'm going to call Matthew. In my, in my life. And he's still doing it. This last week, and I'm going to try to make this as easy to explain as I can. So, um, we're set up on a, as a district, our church, uh, the, the denomination is, okay? And our district has 70-some pastors. And, and on our district, one of my responsibilities is um, to, uh, to, to, to be part of the process of ordaining new, new ministers. So we go through, the, many of them that go through a several-year process, um, education and time of experience, and they have to come be interviewed. Every year they get to come be interviewed, and they've got one really big interview right at the end, okay? And uh, that interview has like 20, 25 pastors in it, and we all grill them, hard questions. It's a lovely, lovely thing. But um, so I had a meeting this week, and, and we didn't have to interview anybody, but we, it was that, that group of 20-some pastors getting together, and um, that was Thursday. Wednesday night, uh, I, I did my sermon, and, and I felt like I just bombed it, okay? I, mean, it was, I, just, I walked away like, oh, that was terrible. I couldn't get like, my words out the way I wanted them to. It was all confusing, probably a little bit like this morning. But um, <laughs> I, just, I, I left, and I can't tell you, I, I can't like, put my finger on it. I just was like, I just want to kind of climb in a hole and hide out, Okay? But Thursday morning, I got to get up, and I got to head to a meeting, and I'm sitting in a group of 25 other pastors, and I just feel like junk. And, um, you know, somebody will speak, and, and they sound really intelligent, and I'm thinking, what am I doing in this group of people? What do I add to this, right? And, and uh, um, then I made some silly joke, right? And I'm thinking, Darren, just be quiet. Why am I talking? Um, it's totally distracting. We're not going there anyway. Uh, so I left that meeting, and I just, I just felt puny. And I didn't want to go, I didn't want to stop, make any stops. I just wanted to, I just wanted to get home. And so um, I didn't say anything. I just kind of was dealing with it. So Friday morning gets up, and I'm, I'm having my quiet time, and I and um, all of a sudden, I just, this, the best way I explain it is I felt like God said, you're insecure. You're insecure. And so I start playing back the kind of, Wednesday didn't go well. I was not feeling like a, 
this is not so you give me any kind of encouragement, okay? I'm sharing this because this is where I, it's God that needs to work on me, okay? Um, I just feel like I'm not a very good pastor. And then I go to a meeting and I'm sitting around and I'm thinking, I don't belong in this group because they're way better at pastoring than I am. And, um, and then Saturday I've got another meeting that I get to go to where we nominate people for important positions on the district. But that it was either Friday or Saturday, I woke up and I'm insecure. That's what's going on. That's what's eating away at me is I'm just feeling like I don't measure up and I'm not good enough. And it's almost as though Jesus got to this little tax booth and he said, this is, this is a deep one. I needed to be more established before, before we got to address this one. See, because insecurity is just a really weak way, a chicken way of saying, I'm prideful. You understand that? So I'm wrestling with pride. And Jesus is saying, follow me. stopped and it's calling he knows when to address the issues in my life he knows what they are and as he's formed in me he becomes greater I'd like to say so I just left everything right I'm still wrestling a little bit with that insecurity stuff that pride stuff because it's a, it's a tax collector of a deal, okay? But his call to follow comes at the perfect time. Because he's laid the groundwork. Because he's prepared for it. He knows when to do it. And he calls because it's time. I hope that you could be sitting here saying, oh, I know what he's talking to me about. He's picked this moment for a reason. In order for Matthew to follow, he was going to have to stop convincing himself that, he was doing what, that what he was doing was okay. I could sit here and say, well, you know, every pastor struggles with that, and, you know, everybody deals with insecurities, blah, 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 except that he has stopped, and he said, follow me. Because Christ is formed in me. The th second thing I can't, I can't get past is that the picture of the doctor, the physician, this is where we're sick. You know, we, we take our kids to the doctor when we can't help them. I mean, that's what I do. Well, so, uh, not just me. I had to, my wife does too. Uh, I mean, if the fever go, doesn't go away with Tylenol, we're thinking, oh, we've got to get to the doctor because we can't stop it. If the runny nose and the cough doesn't stop after a prolonged time, we're thinking 
something else is wrong here. We need to have it checked out. You know, if their arm bends where it's not supposed to bend, then we better get them to the doctor because they can fix it, I can't. If the swelling keeps getting worse, go to somebody who can take care of it. See, Jesus has come to do in me what I can't do for myself. As he's formed in me, he continues to to heal every place in my life that's sick. Every place that I can't fix myself. Do, Do we have that picture of him? It's a great realization to know you're sick. Sadly, the Pharisees didn't know it. I don't want to be in that category. He came to heal. So is, he, is he revealing something in your life that needs healing? Because he came for the sick. He came for those that can't fix themselves. And that's all of us. Will you pray with me, please?